You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's Rico Daily. I'm Adam Clark Estes. A year ago today, thousands of rioters stormed the U.S. Capitol. And now we're still trying to follow all the digital breadcrumbs they left behind. Fuck you, police! This all played out online. It was organized online. There were hashtags for this stuff. You know, T-shirts were being sold. And then in the insurrection itself, people were just like live streaming their crimes, posting selfies of their crimes, like openly boasting about their crimes. That's Recode Sarah Morrison. And over the past year, federal investigators have relied heavily on social media and, well, really records of everything people do online to find, arrest, and prosecute insurrectionists. You have thousands of people and then, I don't know, something like millions of social media posts that can be used as evidence against them. People just documented everything they did. But in what's become one of the largest investigations in American history, the FBI has needed help to get a hold of the data about the January 6th suspects. So, naturally, it turned to tech companies. If you're using your phone, doing anything on the internet, anything online, using any of these apps, it's not that hard for people to know what you were doing and then the FBI to sort of, once they figure out who you were, build that case against you based on all that stuff. Well, the involvement of companies like Facebook and Google in the aftermath of the insurrection, it comes with a nagging question. If there are laws that keep police from accessing all of our personal data itself, why is it okay for tech companies to give it away so freely? I remember January 6th very well. We were working together on a story about what was happening. Can you remember what you were thinking that day as you were first starting to piece together what was going to happen to all these people who were apparently breaking the law in plain sight? If I recall correctly, you said, let's start thinking of a way of things we can do for this story that have a tech angle. And I was driving back to New York City and I literally pulled my car over at a rest stop and slacked you like, it looks like they're all going to get in trouble because they're putting everything everywhere on social media, all of them all the time. And that was the article that we pretty much wrote. And now a year later, it's that prediction, which wasn't too hard to make, seems to have be accurate. But in the years since then, we've learned a lot about what law enforcement did after that day. But we also learned about how unprepared the FBI was in the days leading up to January 6th. What did you find out about how much the FBI knew about these groups and the organizing online that was happening before it even happened? I mean, it's hard to say. I think a lot of the stuff, we don't know the full extent of what they did or didn't know yet or how much they acted. There have been reports that they were warned. They had an idea something was going to happen. They have been monitoring to a certain extent some of these groups. And what we do know is that clearly it wasn't acted upon appropriately because look at what happened. So somebody messed up somewhere. And after the insurrection happened, I think the FBI was largely left having to go, okay, we have like pictures of thousands of people that we believe are doing crimes. We need to figure out who they all are. 
And we kind of are stuck relying on the public to tell us because we, a lot of these people apparently weren't really on their radar. So they had to do a lot of just sort of working from behind. And when the investigation started, what did it look like? Did the FBI do its usual thing of posting wanted posters and asking people for tips? Yeah, they did, pretty much. I mean, there was stuff on bus stops. There was stuff online. Because so many of the people who participated in this are believed to be from outside the D.C. area, this has been like a nationwide effort. So things like social media are great for that. They've got their website, dedicated website set up for this, or dedicated section of their website set up for this. They've been doing this on social media. They've been trying to just get pictures of as many people as possible. Just say, do you know this is, you know, this is calling for tips. If you have any information about anybody that was there, please call us. And then we've got a lot of people who were very upset about what they saw happen and what it represented, who have just sort of done their own thing to try to identify people that the FBI hasn't yet. It sounds like they have crowdsourced the investigation and that there's been some online sleuthing, which hasn't always worked out well in the past. I'm remembering the Boston bombing when Reddit identified the wrong guy several times, if I remember correctly. How did it work out in this case? Online sleuthing has a a bad reputation, and I think a lot of that's deserved. In this case, we haven't really seen that kind of thing where like the wrong person is identified sloppily and then like a thousand people dox and pile onto them. We haven't seen that as far as I know. It seems like it's sort of a loosely organized group of people doing this and they kind of seem to have some rules and they kind of work together behind the scenes. They have pictures of people that they are trying to find identifications for, but then the actual identifications are done behind the scenes and they just send to the FBI. A lot of these people seem to have some experience in what they're doing, not all of them, but some. So they're they're sort of maybe better at that than like someone who's coming at this completely new. And again, there's just so many people and so much stuff that you can find just by looking at people's social media pages. If you're somebody who's particularly good at that, you might be better at that than an FBI agent, apparently. But it sounds like the FBI itself is going about all this in a pretty old school way. They're taking tips from the public and they're following up on them and they're looking for clues in plain sight. However, some people might think about law enforcement and its surveillance capabilities in a much sort of darker way. Like you think of facial recognition and what the NSA is capable of. And I'm not saying the NSA was involved in this, but what did we learn about the FBI and its investigation techniques from how this investigation has unfolded so far? So it's hard to tell because there's possibly things that they're doing that we don't know about that don't make it into the case files that the public sees. But going by what we do see, again, it's a lot of just the cases start with somebody else gives them a tip. The FBI follows up on it by using various social media things, getting data from these various companies, and then just sort of putting the person at the scene and getting evidence that says they're there and that they did this stuff, right? But that's a lot of surface stuff. What they can also do is some things that I think are more like controversial. So like facial recognition is certainly one of them. Things called uh, geofence warrants or reverse search warrants, where they basically just go to like Google and say, we want all of the devices that were in this area, that being like the Capitol building at this time, and just give us a list of the devices. And then from there, they'll try to identify like which devices are people that are supposed to be there and then all the ones that weren't, and then try to identify suspects through them. That's controversial because it's not looking for a specific person. It's trying to find a specific person within a bunch of people who could be doing absolutely nothing wrong. And so those are things that the general public really doesn't have access to that can be used in ways that people might disagree with or think are, you know, civil liberties issue or privacy issue. Maybe there's some gray areas with the law because they're sort of new technologies and things aren't like super spelled out about what warrants you need to get for what and how. 
what I always thought was interesting was I saw a lot of outrage when these things were used for certain cases, and I saw maybe a little less of it when they were used for this. So, you know, maybe people's preferences depend on whether or not they agree with what somebody's done. But suffice it to say, the FBI doesn't really need futuristic tracking or surveillance technology because it can just get data from big tech companies that are already tracking us and collecting data about us. They just need to get a warrant and then the big tech company has to give up that data. Does that sound right? Yeah, I mean, that certainly seems to be the case here. It's not to say that the FBI doesn't have those things or isn't, you know, using them, but the FBI generally is constrained by laws and, you know, it has that probable cause to like investigate you or, or get evidence about you. But all these tech companies can kind of just collect whatever they want about you whenever. So if you're the FBI, maybe it's a lot easier to just get all the stuff that they got from them rather than have to like jump through all the hoops to sort of collect it yourself. You're just going to get it after the fact. And especially when it's about something with so many people that was done so publicly on all these platforms, you know, it's all right there. But all of this is sort of familiar, right? Like we're aware that big tech companies give data to law enforcement. What makes this scenario special or different? I mean, it's probably not so surprising to me, somebody who's been writing about, you know, all the data that we give away and how law enforcement can get it for two years it might be more surprising to other people who maybe weren't as aware of the scope of extent of that. So that might be sort of edifying for them. But no, for me, it wasn't that much of a surprise. I guess at this point, maybe what's surprising is that they have arrested a lot of people, but there were a lot more people there that they still haven't identified. There you know, are a lot of people who were attacking police officers who they haven't identified. And you would think they've got a picture of them. It's been a year. You really think that they would have really made it a priority to go after those people. And like, I don't want to like say they're doing something wrong because I don't know. But I mean, it does seem like they would have been the first people to, to get arrested and they're, they're still out there. There's still hundreds of people that they haven't identified. And I guess that there was that pipe bomber the night before who they apparently don't know who it is, don't know anything about other than what they were wearing. They've got some surveillance video. Doesn't seem like been able, them or the online sleuths, been able to figure out much of anything about that person. It's a $100,000 reward. And you're sort of like, I guess there are limits. It's still not impossible for at least a certain period of time to, to be unidentified, even when you do what seems to be very kind of serious crime. Even still, in, in zooming out from January 6th, we're all leaving these digital breadcrumbs wherever we go. And if we happen to commit a crime, it seems like there would be a lot of evidence that law enforcement could get its hands on. I'm thinking about the rise in ring doorbells and the fact that you can walk down a street in a neighborhood and everybody's doorbell can kind of watch you do it and police can get access to that. Yeah, I mean, it's not just the surveillance that you do on yourself with your own products. It's like, like you said, the ring doorbells, the like toll cameras when you drive around, like your movements are being tracked through a variety of things all the time. And I have to wonder, is this the future of policing? And is that okay? Well, it's the present of policing. <laughs> like, obviously, it, it's happening right now. You know, is it okay? What I found interesting is that what people seem to find okay about it depends on whether or not they agree with the crime that was committed <laughs> or how it's used or who it's used against. I think there were a lot of people who wouldn't have wanted these kinds of tactics to be deployed against, say, like a Black Lives Matter protest, um, who are perfectly fine with them being used about sort of capital insurrectionists. And obviously, these are very different situations. So um, that could be, you know, a reason too. But 
Yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm comparing these people, the, the Capitol rioters, the Black Lives Matter protesters, because I'm not. It occurs to me that some of this surveillance from January 6th is kind of similar to the Black Lives Matter protests when law enforcement was watching a lot of social media feeds to see if people were going to commit a crime or if they did commit a crime or if they needed to find someone who committed a crime. But what's the difference between police surveilling uh, peaceful protests and police trying to track down those who incited an insurrection? Yeah, so this has kind of been a sticking point for me through all of this is when you see the like enthusiasm that these amateur online sleuths have had towards trying to identify people and spreading the word and trying to like figure out who all these people are and like maybe applaud the FBI's efforts and whatever means necessary that they use to find these people. And it's like, I guess that's okay if it's people that you think deserve to be found and punished in this way, but these are also tactics that can be used for other things, for other movements that maybe you don't think are wrong or aren't even illegal. But this stuff's out there and it's used and it's not just being used against people that that you don't like or that committed crimes that you disagree with. If it's out there being used against them, it's conceivably being used against, you know, everybody. So um, I, I would hope people would maybe take a step back when they sort of cheer on some of these more controversial ways of, of finding people and identifying people and just think about the implications that those things have for other people, too. I think that doesn't answer your question, but it gets at more of what I've been trying to say. Today's episode was produced by Victoria Dominguez and engineered by Melissa Ponce from Hemlock Creek Productions. I'm Adam Clark Estes. We'll see you tomorrow. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA.